Chapter Twelve of Tales of a Traveler by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Poor Devil Author, Part Two. My next quarters were at a small whitewashed cottage which stands not far from hempstead just on the brow of a hill looking over chalk farm in camden town remarkable for the rival houses of mother redcap and mother blackcap and so across Cruxskull common to the distant city the cottage is in no wise remarkable in itself but i regarded it with reverence for it had been the asylum of a persecuted author hither poor steele had retreated and lain perdue when persecuted by creditors and bailiffs those immemorial plagues of authors and free-spirited gentlemen and here he had written many numbers of the spectator it was from hence too that he had dispatched those little notes to his lady so full of affection and whimsicality in which the fond husband the careless gentleman and the shifting spendthrift were so oddly blended i thought as i first eyed the window of his apartment that i could sit within it and write volumes no such thing it was haymaking season and as ill luck would have it immediately opposite the cottage was a little alehouse with the sign of a load of hay whether it was there in steele's time or not i cannot say but it set all attempt at conception or inspiration at defiance it was the resort of all the irish haymakers who mow the broad fields in the neighbourhood and of drovers and teamsters who travel that road here would they gather in the endless summer twilight or by the light of the harvest moon and sit round a table at the door and tipple and laugh and quarrel and fight and sing drowsy songs and dawdle away the hours until the deep solemn notes of st paul's clock would warn the varlets home in the daytime i was still less able to write it was broad summer the haymakers were at work in the fields and the perfume of the new-mown hay brought with it the recollection of my native fields so instead of remaining in my room to write i went wandering about primrose hill and hampstead heights and shepherd's field and all those arcadian scenes so celebrated by london bards i cannot tell you how many delicious hours i have passed lying on the cocks of new-mown hay on the pleasant slopes of some of those hills inhaling the fragrance of the fields while the summer fly buzzed above me or the grasshopper leaped into my bosom and how i have gazed with half-shut eye upon the smoky mass of london and listened to the distant sound of its population and pitied the poor sons of earth toiling in its bowels like gnomes in the dark gold mine people may say what they please about cockney pastorals but after all there is a vast deal of rural beauty about the western vicinity of london and any one this looked down upon the valley of west end with its soft bosom of green pasturage lying open to the south and dotted with cattle the steeple of hempstead rising among rich groves on the 
brow of the hill and the learned height of harrow in the distance will confess that never has he seen a more absolutely rural landscape in the vicinity of a great metropolis still however i found myself not a whit the better off for my frequent change of lodgings and i began to discover that in literature as in trade the old proverb holds good quote, a rolling stone gathers no moss end quote the tranquil beauty of the country played the very vengeance with me i could not mount my fancy into the termagant vein i could not conceive amidst the smiling landscape a scene of blood and murder and the smug citizens in breeches and gaiters put all ideas of heroes and bandits out of my brain i could think of nothing but dulcet subjects quote, the pleasures of spring the pleasures of solitude the pleasures of tranquillity the pleasures of sentiment end quote. nothing but pleasures and i had the painful experience of the quote, pleasures of melancholy end quote, too strongly in my recollection to be beguiled by them chance at length befriended me i had frequently in my ramblings loitered about hempstead hill which is a kind of parnassus of the metropolis at such times i occasionally took my dinner at jack straw's castle it is a country inn so named the very spot where that notorious rebel and his followers held their council of war it is a favorite resort of the citizens when rurally inclined as it commands fine fresh air and a good view of the city i sat one day in the public room of this inn ruminating over a beefsteak and a pint of port when my imagination kindled up with ancient and heroic images i had long wanted a theme and a hero both suddenly broke upon my mind i determined to write a poem on the history of jack straw i was so full of my subject that i was fearful of being anticipated i wondered that none of the poets of the day in their researches after ruffian heroes had ever thought of jack straw i went to work pell-mell blotted several sheets of paper with choice floating thoughts and battles and descriptions to be ready at a moment's warning in a few days time i sketched out the skeleton of my poem and nothing was wanting but to give it flesh and blood i used to take my manuscript and stroll about cane wood and read aloud and would dine at the castle by way of keeping up the vein of thought i was taking a meal there one day at a rather late hour in the public room there was no other company but one man who sat enjoying his pint of port at a window and noticing the passers-by he was dressed in a green shooting coat his countenance was strongly marked he had a hooked nose a romantic eye excepting that it had something of a squint and altogether as i thought a poetical style of hand i was quite taken with the man for you must know that i am a little of a physiognomist i set him down at once for either a poet or a philosopher as i like to make new acquaintances considering every man a volume of human nature i soon fell into conversation with the stranger who i was pleased to find was by no means difficult of access after i had dined i joined him at the window and we became so sociable that i proposed a bottle of wine together 
to which he most cheerfully assented i was too full of my poem to keep long quiet on the subject and began to talk about the origin of the tavern and the history of jack straw i found my new acquaintance to be perfectly at home on the topic and to jump exactly with my humour in every respect i became elevated by the wine and the conversation in the fullness of an author's feelings i told him of my projected poem and repeated some passages and he was in raptures he was evidently of a strong poetical turn sir said he filling my glass at the same time our poets don't look at home i don't see why we need go out of old england for robbers and rebels to write about i like your jack straw sir he's a home-made hero i like him sir i like him exceedingly he's english to the backbone damn give me honest old england after all them's my sentiments sir i honour your sentiments cried i zealously they are exactly my own an english ruffian for poetry is as good a ruffian for poetry as any in italy or germany or the archipelago but it is hard to make our poets think so more shame for them replied the man in green what a plague would they have what have we to do with their archipelagos of italy and germany haven't we heaths and commons and highways on our own little island ay and stout fellows to pad the hoof over them too come sir my service to you i agree with you perfectly poets in old times had right notions on this subject continued i witnessed the fine old ballads about robin hood allen a dale and other staunch blades of yore right sir right interrupted he robin hood he was the lad to cry stand to a man and never flinch ah sir said i they've had famous bands of robbers in the good old times those were glorious poetical days the merry crew of sherwood forest who led such a roving picturesque life under the greenwood tree i have often wished to visit their haunts and tread the scenes of the exploits of friar tuck and klim of the clough and sir william of cowdsley nay sir to the gentleman in green we have had several very pretty gangs since their day those gallant dogs that kept about the great heaths in the neighbourhood of london about bagshot and hounslow and blackheath for instance come sir my service to you you don't drink i suppose said i emptying my glass i suppose you have heard of the famous turpin who was born in this very village of hempstead and who used to lurk with his gang in epping forest about a hundred years since have i cried he to be sure i have a hearty old blade that sound as pitch old turpentine as we used to call him a famous fine fellow sir well sir continued i i have visited waltham abbey and chinkford church merely from the stories i heard when a boy of his exploits there and i have searched epping forest for the cavern where he used to conceal himself you must know added i that i am a sort of amateur of highwaymen they were dashing daring fellows the last apologies that we had for the knight-errants of yore ah sir the country has been sinking gradually into tameness and commonplace we are losing the old english spirit 
the bold knights of the post have all dwindled down into lurking footpads and sneaking pickpockets there's no such thing as a dashing gentleman-like robbery committed nowadays on the king's highway a man may roll from one end of england to the other in a drowsy coach or jingling post-chase without any other adventure than that of being occasionally overturned sleeping in damp sheets or having an ill-cooked dinner we hear no more of public coaches being stopped and robbed by a well-mounted gang of resolute fellows with pistols in their hands and crepes over their faces what a pretty poetical incident was it for example in domestic life for a family carriage on its way to a country seat to be attacked about dusk the old gentleman eased of his purse and watch the ladies of their necklaces and earrings by a politely spoken highwayman on a blood mare who afterwards leaped the hedge and galloped across the country to the admiration of miss carolina the daughter who would write a long and romantic account of the adventure to her friend miss juliana in town ah sir we meet with nothing of such incidents nowadays that sir said my companion taking advantage of a pause when i stopped to recover breath and to take a glass of wine which he had just poured that sir craving your pardon is not owing to any want of old english pluck it is the effect of this cursed system of banking people do not travel with bags of gold as they did formerly they have a post notes and drafts on bankers to rob a coach is like catching a crow where you have nothing but carrion flesh and feathers for your pains but a coach in old time sir was as rich as a spanish galleon it turned out the yellow boys bravely and a private carriage was a cool hundred or two at least i cannot express how much i was delighted with the sallies of my new acquaintance he told me that he often frequented the castle and would be glad to know more of me and i promised myself many a pleasant afternoon with him when i should read him my poem as it proceeded and benefit by his remarks for it was evident he had the true poetical feeling come sir said he pushing the bottle damn i like you you're a man after my own heart i'm cursed slow in making new acquaintances in general one must stand on the reserve you know but when i meet with a man of your kidney damn my heart jumps at once to him them's my sentiments sir come sir here's jack straw's health i presume one can drink it nowadays without treason with all my heart said i gaily and dick turpin's into the bargain ah sir said the man in green those are the kind of men for poetry the newgate calendar sir the newgate calendar is your only reading there's the place to look for bold deeds and dashing fellows we were so much pleased with each other that we sat until a late hour i insisted on paying the bill both my purse and my heart were full and i agreed that he should pay the score at our next meeting as the coaches had all gone that run between hampstead and london he had to return on foot he was so delighted with the idea of my poem that he could talk of nothing else he made me repeat such passages as i could remember and though i did it in a very mangled manner having a wretched memory yet he was in raptures 
Every now and then he would break out with some scrap which he would misquote most terribly, but would rub his hands and exclaim, By Jupiter, that's fine! That's noble! Damn, sir, if I could conceive how you hit upon such ideas! I must confess that I did not always relish his misquotations, which sometimes made absolute nonsense of the passages. But what author stands upon trifles when he is praised? Never had I spent a more delightful evening. I did not perceive how the time flew. I could not bear to separate, but continued walking on, arm in arm with him, past my lodgings, through Camden Town and across Crackskull Common, talking the whole way about my poem. When we were halfway across the common, he interrupted me in the midst of a quotation, by telling me that this had been a famous place for footpads, and was still occasionally infested by them, and that a man had recently been shot there in attempting to defend himself. The more fool he, cried I, a man is an idiot to risk life, or even limb, to save a paltry purse of money. It's quite a different case from that of a duel, where one's honor is concerned. For my part, added I, I should never think of making resistance against one of those desperados. Say you so? cried my friend in green, turning suddenly upon me, and putting a pistol to my breast. Why, then have at you, my lad. Come, disperse, empty, unsack. In a word, I found that the muse had played me another of her tricks, and had betrayed me into the hands of a footpad. There was no time to parley. He made me turn my pockets inside out, and hearing the sound of distant footsteps, he made one fell swoop upon purse, watch and all, gave me a thwack over my unlucky pate that laid me sprawling on the ground, and scampered away with his booty. I saw no more of my friend in green until a year or two afterwards, when I caught a sight of his poetical countenance among a crew of scapegraces, heavily ironed who were on their way for transportation. He recognized me at once, tipped me an imprudent wink, and asked me how I came on with the history of Jack Straw's castle. The catastrophe at Crackskull Common put an end to my summer's campaign. I was cured of my poetical enthusiasm for rebels, robbers, and highwaymen. I was put out of conceit of my subject, and what was worse, I was lightened of my purse in which it was almost every farthing I had in this world. So I abandoned Sir Richard Steele's cottage in despair, and crept into less celebrated, though no less poetical, and airy lodgings in a garret in town. I see you are growing weary, so I will not detain you with any more of my luckless attempts to get astride of Pegasus. Still, I could not consent to give up the trial, and abandon those dreams of renown in which I had indulged. How should I ever be able to look the literary circle of my native village in the face, if I were so completely to falsify their predictions? For some time longer, therefore, I continued to write, for fame, and of course was the most miserable dog in existence, besides being in continued risk of starvation. I have many a time strolled sorrowfully along, with a sad heart and an empty stomach about five o'clock and looked wistfully down the areas in the west end of the town, and seen through the kitchen windows the fires gleaming, and the joints of meat turning on the spits, and dripping with gravy, and the cookmaids beating up puddings, or trussing turkeys, 
and have felt for the moment that if i could but have the run of one of those kitchens apollo and the muses might have the hungry heights of parnassus for me oh sir talk of meditations among the tombs they are nothing so melancholy as the meditations of a poor devil without penny and pouch along a line of kitchen windows towards dinner-time at length when almost reduced to famine and despair the idea all at once entered my head that perhaps i was not so clever a fellow as the village and myself had supposed it was the salvation of me the moment the idea popped into my brain it brought conviction and comfort with it i awoke as from a dream i gave up immortal fame to those who could live on air took to writing for mere bread and have ever since led a very tolerable life of it there is no man of letters so much at his ease sir as he that has no character to gain or lose i had to train myself to it a little however and to clip my wings short at first or they would have carried me up into poetry in spite of myself so i continued to begin by the opposite extreme and abandoning the higher regions of the craft i came plump down to the lowest and turned creeper creeper interrupted i and pray what is that oh sir i see you are ignorant of the language of the craft a creeper is one who furnishes the newspapers with paragraphs at so much a line one that goes about in quest of misfortunes tends the bow street offices the courts of justice and every other den of mischief and iniquity we are paid at the rate of a penny a line as we can sell the same paragraph to almost every paper we sometimes pick up a very decent day's work now and then the muse is unkind or the day uncommonly quiet and then we rather starve and sometimes the unconscionable editors will clip our paragraphs when they are a little too rhetorical or snip off two pence or three pence at a go i have many a time had my pot of porter snipped off of my dinner in this way and have had to dine with dry lips however i cannot complain i rose gradually in the lower ranks of the craft and am now i think in the most comfortable region of literature and pray said i what may you be at present at present said he i am a regular job writer and turn my hand to anything i work up the writings of others at so much a sheet turn off translations write second-rate articles to fill up reviews and magazines compile travels and voyages and furnish theatrical criticism for the newspapers all this authorship you perceive is anonymous it gives no reputation except among the trade for i am considered an author of all work and am always sure of employ that's the only reputation i want i sleep soundly without dread of duns or critics and leave immortal fame to those that choose to fret and fight about it take my word for it the only happy author in this world is he who is below the care of reputation the preceding anecdotes of buckthorne's early schoolmate and a variety of peculiarities which i had remarked in himself gave me a strong curiosity to know something of his own history there was a dash of careless good humour about him that pleased me exceedingly and at times a whimsical tinge of melancholy ran through his humour that gave it an additional relish he had evidently been a little chilled and buffeted by fortune 
without being soured thereby as some fruits became mellower and sweeter from having been bruised or frostbitten he smiled when i expressed my desire i have no great story said he to relate a mere tissue of errors and follies but such as it is you shall have one epic of it by which you may judge of the rest and so without any further prelude he gave me the following anecdote of his early adventures End of chapter twelve recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida